Hello, listeners. This is Hilary Trudell, and you're listening to The Yarn Podcast. Thanks for joining us. The Yarn uses the power of story to amplify voices, build understanding, and create space for human connection. We currently operate out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and all the stories you're about to hear were recorded live. Our shows are theme-based and center on topics that come straight from our community. Today, we're featuring stories from our recent live show, True Love Stories. The show was performed live at South on Main on February 19th in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. This will be the third and final of a three-part series. Our first storyteller in the third part of our series is Denise Dunnell. Denise is a native of Jackson, Mississippi, and she spends every day of her life in Little Rock, Arkansas, learning how to love and how to be loved. Here she is. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations that plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. I've been quoting scripture my entire life because I grew up in a Christian household. I sang in the adult choir. I played piano for the children's choir. And I taught Sunday school. My mom is a deaconess. And my daddy, he was a deacon. He was a praying deacon who beat the hell out of me from the time that I was like eight until I became a freshman in college. I was the apple of his eye, though, and that's what he called me. He called me Apple. I remember one time when my dad's phone was on the brinks and he needed a little help. And so I decided that I would take his phone and try to fix it for him. And so in the process of doing so, I called myself. And when I called myself, it showed up Dr. Apple, because I had just gotten my doctorate degree. That's cute, huh? Well, Doug didn't think so. Doug was my man. I have never, ever loved a man the way that I loved Doug. Not then and not now. And Daddy and Doug didn't get along. They did not get along at all. They disliked each other so much so that they refused to even call me by the same name. My Daddy called me Apple. Doug called me Orange. (laughs) It didn't matter to me. I didn't want to be Apple. I didn't want to be round or juicy. I didn't want to be the type of woman who had to downplay her intelligence in order to make a man feel smart. I didn't want to learn how to stroke a man's ego. I didn't want to give up my power or my voice or my opinion. I wanted to be orange. I wanted to be Doug's orange because then I was sexy and luscious, and desirable, and I was wanted. I could command a room if I were orange. I defended those who were wounded. I protected prey. I was bold. I was beautiful. I was orange. 
I was Doug's orange. I was his orange. And why wouldn't I be? He was the first man who ever loved me just for me. Never mind he was a dope dealer. It fascinated me to stay up all night long. Never mind the fact that he only listened to gospel music. I found a way to bop and snap to that too. Never mind that he never went to church. I longed for the day that I didn't have to go anymore. Never mind the fact that he didn't go to class, didn't think that school was for him. I got to the point where I didn't think I needed it either. All I needed was him and his babies. That's all I wanted. Make me a wife and a mother in that order. That was my prayer. Well, actually it was make me his wife and make me the mother of his children in that order. That was my prayer day after day, month after month, year after year after year after year. And then he went to prison. Prayer sucks. What was I supposed to pray for now? And so I prayed for him. I prayed for his mind. I prayed for his body. I prayed for his soul. But more than that, I prayed for me. And the more I prayed for me, the less I was able to be there with him. So 24 years later, I stopped writing, I stopped talking, I stopped calling, I stopped praying. It was over, I was done. I was ready to move on, or so I thought. Then one day I got one of those messages on Facebook. It was a cryptic kind of message that kind of kept going back and forth with me trying to figure out who it was to the point where I was about to cuss. And then he called me by name. He called me Orange. No one ever called me Orange except him. And so here he was again, and I fell in love all over again. Or so I thought. He wanted me. He was still in love with me. He was madly in love with me. He still wanted to be with his orange. Nothing for him after all of those years had changed. But for me, everything had changed. I wasn't his orange. Yes, I'm sexy and desirable and luscious. I know how to command a room. I still defend the wounded. I definitely protect prey. I am bold and I am beautiful, but I am not orange. And I am definitely not apple. I am Denise. Thank you.
Our next storyteller is Justin Booth, who is about to deliver a different kind of love story. We call him Little Rock's own outlaw poet. Here's Justin from the Yarn Stage. So uh, my wife just got out of prison. I met her at the uh, Mission Bible Training Center Christian Rehab in Northeast Arkansas a few years ago. Hadn't really seen her since uh, I went to prison the first time myself. First time I ever seen her, she was getting pulled out of a big white Cadillac by her mama. She was the uh, daughter of snake-handling charismatic preachers. She liked heroin. She was a mess. My daddy was a high elder in the organized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I enjoyed crack cocaine and speedballs. And when I fell, first thing, Shelly, I fell in love. She was pretty as a mess of catfish. Two weeks later, we got married in front of the altar of the Assembly of God Church on 6 and a half Street in Paragould, Arkansas, where my mama still lives. The crime spree soon followed. We stayed high all the time, and we lied, and we stole, and cheated, and shoplifted, and yet we even tricked to stay loaded. The old car we had was a four-cylinder with a bad water pump. It'd run hot. We'd nicked one of the wheels so the tire'd go flat if you didn't keep adding air all throughout the day. I began to doubt our future is snatch and grab kids. <laughs> we were driving around one night. I saw one of those big bouncy air houses like you rent for kids' parties in front of a church, right? Big sign out front said Fall Festival because you know the Baptists don't believe in Halloween. <laughs> we pulled in there. I thought maybe score a little soft hustle, get some water. Talked to an old guy. And he he invited me and Shelly to come in and have a hot dog and hamburger. You know they had the whole thing going. Talked to him for a minute. Told him we'd come from a Christian rehab in Alabama. Lord had tried us the entire way. All the all the best hustles really have a basis in truth. So it was best I didn't say that we were right. They asked us to go to church with them the next morning. It was tough because they gave us a little money that night. But we made it barely in time for Sunday school and I fairly took over. By the time I got done talking in Sunday school, they asked me to share the main message out front that morning, share my testimony. Uh, I laid a sermon down on them. I preached about that fellow they called Legion in the Bible that had all them demons in him. He lived in the place of the dead and he cut himself. It was a pretty good parallel to that dope life that I had lived anyway. It worked really well. By the time I got done, I knew what it was like to be Mick Jagger. I walked out of that church, and everybody was reaching and shaking my hand. Every person I passed would shake my hand and push folded-up money into my palm. And I was sticking it in my pockets, boy. 
I made it to the car and we was about to get down. And the old couple that we'd seen first, they asked us to go to lunch with them. I mean, Shelly had enough money to get high real good right at the end, but I just suspected that we might want to have this lunch. I remember Shelly had gizzards. After it was over, they told us that what they did at their family for the holidays, since they all had pretty much everything they needed and wanted, is they, the money they would all spend on each other's Christmases, they'd give to a needy family that wanted me and Shelly to have it. They were genuinely good people. I genuinely got high with that money. They gave us that envelope and we shot out of there. Shelly looked down in it. It was about $5,000. We got high for a week and a half without leaving the house, huh? We went back to grinding again, hustling. We had this church thing we did more than once. It worked so well, we went ahead and went back to that one over and over again, right? One night, Shelly, it was her birthday. It was, it was Shelly's birthday. And she had made friends with a girl named Ron Ron that was our crack dealer's sister who happened to be with child. She wanted to get her something nice, so we decided to go to Walmart to do some shoplifting. I was sitting in the car, and I was smoking rocks, so I was already geeked out looking around. And Shelly was inside and on opiates, so when she came out, she didn't realize there were two big guys behind her. I didn't know who they were. They might be security, but they might be management. They might be someone we had ripped off, but I knew we needed to get down. And I pulled up there, threw the door open, Shelly jumped in. I nearly run over a police going backwards out the Burger King drive-through to get out in it. Uh, by the time they boxed us in, there was 40 police cars around me. Huh? They knew right who we were. We'd been on a spree, right? And they'd been just like a step behind us. Not a very big town. You know? Me and Shelly had both been busted before. We rode together in the back seat of the same police car. I said, look here, babe. Some fellas don't never take their girlfriends nowhere for their birthday. <laughs> I took that first round of charges. I really hadn't seen Shelly face to face since then. She just got out of prison herself, and I guess she's in some sort of program. I just ain't the same guy that I was then. I, I don't get high anymore like that. I don't lie and cheat and steal all day to stay that way. And I love Shelly, and I hope those things for her too. I hope that's in her future. But right now, the kind of love we got for each other is tested by proximity. I think... Uh, we, the, our kind of love works better in Arkansas and Alabama. Thank you, guys. Our final storyteller in this three-part series is Marge Hotchkiss. Mark's story was a little bit different for us. We had someone submit a story. Her name was Karen Hayes, a well-known poet in Little Rock, Arkansas. But she died unexpectedly at the end of January and was unable to read her story at the show. Therefore, her boyfriend and love, Mark, read her story, paying homage to Karen from the art stage. Here he is. I'm going to read a story by Karen Hayes, poet, ultra runner, 
my beloved. On January 31st, Karen died from a sudden illness. I was with her at the end. Karen Hayes was my world. We shared everything. We couldn't get enough of each other. She was my joy in life. Karen showed me this story a few weeks ago, uh, asking permission for me, uh, for uh, her to read it. And of course, I gave it to her. So here we are. Now, anyone who knew her can tell you that no one can deliver a story like Karen Hayes. But here it goes. These are Karen's words. I assure you, every word is true. My husband was a Little Rock bar musician. His name was Bobby J. Hayes. He had Alzheimer's. He died in 2014. This is not a good way to begin a love story. Bob and I were married for 29 years. I never planned to marry again. I never planned to date again. I'm a poet. I accidentally picked up a beautiful man downtown at Second Friday Art Night. I did it with a poem. The man was my age, an appropriate man. He's a library guy. Maybe he was especially susceptible to poetry. <laughs> True, I bother strangers with poems all the time, but I certainly didn't intend this to happen. Admittedly, I did lay the poem directly on him. I set it straight into his lap, looking into his eyes. The poem was light, with some serious bits and a funny little kick at the end. Everybody likes that poem, including me. When I was done, he said, nothing. <laughs> he kept looking into my eyes. He took my hand. He took my hand. Nobody had held my hand except my husband for 32 years. I mean, really, held my hand. It only got worse. But by the end of the evening, I was letting him walk me to my car. As we walked, I steadily explained about being a widow, and not for that long, a year and a half. When we reached my car, he asked me for my phone number. Was it too soon? Yes. I handed him my card. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I was sure he'd call me before I got on the freeway. I was in no state to talk, not anymore. I had talked enough. When I got home, I sat at the kitchen table and poured myself a shot. What if he was married? What if he was batshit crazy? <laughs> there was at least an even chance he was crazy. He was interested in me. What the hell was wrong with him? He wore glasses. How long had it been since he had his prescription checked? Was his hearing impaired? Could he not see? And here, I was a 62-year-old woman with all the wrinkled and opinionated baggage that entails. <laughs> and here he was, just lovely, 
Why wasn't he chatting up 45-year-olds? I called my friend Barbara, who hasn't dated since the George H.W. Bush administration. <laughs> she was surprisingly helpful. What do I do when he calls? I said, nothing, she said. You don't have to talk to him. <laughs> he never called. By the next art night, I was ready to straighten this joker out. <laughs> Why didn't he call me? I knew he liked me. Fine, like me, but quit hanging over me. I stood on the balcony at the Butler Center, a bad-tempered Juliet waiting for him. <laughs> mm, of course he would be here. He worked across the street at the library. <laughs> when he walked in the door, he didn't look up. I headed for the stairs. I had him in my sights now. <laughs> he met me at the top of the stairs. We fell into each other's arms. I was hoping you'd be here, he said. I still don't want to get married again. And I still don't want to play the dating game. But love, love, oh yeah, count me in. Mm. When this beautiful man and I go to Second Friday Art Night in February, it will be our three-year anniversary. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Hilary Trudell, and this has been an episode of the Yarn Podcast. I want to take a moment to thank the many people who make the yarn possible. Thanks to South on Main for hosting the Love Show. This episode of the Yarn was edited by the capable and wonderful Omaya Jones. Special thanks to our business manager, Sarah Brown, our operations director, Julianne Dunn, who keeps us in line and on track. Jensen Hallett, Jesse Rice, and Brad Cameron run our comms team and are fabulous at it. Emily Warnsdorfer and Ellie Wheeler not only house manage our shows, but bring their artistic talents to all the windows that our venue owners will allow painting. Mike Silverman is our stage manager. Laura Creech is our website designer and manager. Amy Hopper is our partnership manager. Stacy Cox takes our photos. And lastly... But definitely not least, the yarn would not be possible without the brave Arkansans sharing their stories with us. So special thanks to Denise, Justin, and Mark. You can find more on the yarn at www.theyarnstorytelling.com. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a podcast on the Big Rock Switchboard produced by the fabulous Whit Behringer. Lastly, we'd love to hear from you. You are our community, and we want to make sure we represent what matters to you on our stage. So send us your suggestions for upcoming shows and comments about the show that you've heard to info at theyarnstorytelling.com. Remember, at The Yarn, we believe in the power of story. Share yours with us at theyarnstorytelling.com. Everyone's got a story.
what's yours. <laughs>